0: Uh, We're going to be in the book of Acts tonight, Acts chapter 6, and I have somewhat of a a different message, I guess, for us tonight, just some things, I guess, words of caution, words of uh, um, help. I believe this has been something that's been helpful to me. I recently just read through the book of Acts, and my Uh, personal Bible reading and and uh, there there there's some words that we're going to find in our passage here that really do have some relation to um, missions and the gospel being furthered Uh, but but the passage itself deals with uh, the church and relationships within the church and within the body and and how things are to be handled in that regard and so if you're in Acts 6 and you wouldn't mind let's stand together as we read the scripture Beginning in verse 1, Acts chapter 6 and verse number 1, the Bible says, And in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, I want you to pay special attention to those words, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration." Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them, and then verse 7, and the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. Let's pray. Father, as we look into your word tonight, I pray that you would help us to see truth that would strengthen us, that would challenge us, that would convict us if necessary, but Lord, most of all, that would unify us and and help us to go forward serving you together. Lord, we want to see you use this church in a mighty way for your cause, for your kingdom's sake. And Lord, we know that we have an enemy that fights against that and wants to destroy and tear down what you want to do. And so, Lord, would you help us in your spirit and by your direction uh, to recognize and to, uh, to move forward in the way that you would have us to do so with a right spirit and a right heart. And, uh, Lord, our desire is that, the, uh, as we read in the end, that the word of God would increase and that the multitude, that the disciples would multiply greatly as a result of your working among us. We ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. This passage of Scripture is probably best known for the fact that this is kind of where... I, I believe the beginning uh, of the office of, of the deacons that took place uh, within the church there at Jerusalem. A need arose, and men were separated and appointed to meet that need. And, and that's uh, oftentimes when we come to this passage, that's what we focus on: is the uh, the assembling of these seven men who would serve as deacons within the church there in Jerusalem. But I want to give you a little bit of background of, of what's been going on here. If you remember, Jesus really focus his ministry on 12 men that would become 11 of those would become uh, his first church that uh, that he that he started during his ministry He called them out he commissioned them and then as he ascended back into heaven he sent them back to Jerusalem where they were to wait for the fulfillment of the promise that the Holy Ghost would descend upon them and empower them and so we find them in the beginning of the book of Acts assembled together in an upper room in Jerusalem about hundred and twenty people that are there and you of course are familiar with chapter 2 of Acts as the 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 Holy Spirit descends upon them and as he does he empowers them to to preach the Word of God and and uh, in fact they're speaking in new tongues and tongues that they didn't know but preaching the gospel in, uh, in languages in which they could be understood and they go in overnight they go from a group of 120 people to three thousand one hundred and twenty people I mean just like that they multiplied thirty times over you can imagine the excitement that would go along with that but also the growing pains that would probably take place right well then you go a chapter or two ahead and you find Just not many days after that, 5,000 people were added to the faith and added to the church there. So now within a a period of just a few chapters, we've gone from a group of 11 to a group of 120 to now a group of 8,000 or more people uh, that are assembling together and worshiping God. And I'm just going to say, I think it would be foolish of us to to not consider that there are going to be some things that they have to figure out of how to function as a church in a situation like that. And so they're still learning. They're still kind of feeling their way through this process as everything's happened so quickly. By the end of chapter 4, we find that the Lord, even in spite of their great growth, had given them a love for God and a love for one another, so much so that they were selling the things that they had and sharing with one another. I mean, they had kind of created a, a community where they said, hey, what's what's mine is yours, and what's yours is mine, and let's make sure that nobody within our church family is lacking, and they were sharing with one another. Well, imagine if you would. We, we of course, have a, a preacher's conference every other year, and those of you who are involved in it know uh, what it takes to to host and feed a couple hundred people, uh, that's, a, that's a big undertaking, isn't it? It's a lot of work and planning and preparation that goes into making sure everyone's needs are met and taken care of. We'll multiply that many times over and you have the daily life of the church in Jerusalem. There are needs that are taking place and, and I'm sure they were doing the best that they could to try and meet those needs, but the reality is that not everything was being taken care of, was it? Because we come to verse number one and it says here that in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Okay, so now we have this other problem. you not only have a multitude of people who's come together and just recently they're learning to function together but you actually have people with very different cultural backgrounds and quite honestly some prejudices against each other that are within the same body and uh, that, that can create some tension so what was happening well somehow in the daily ministration in the care of the people one group of people within the church seemed to be overlooked it may have been just an honest oversight it may have been intentional favoritism but for whatever reason something was overlooked and notice the response that that happened what came about was that there there was a murmuring that arose some division began to creep into the church but I want you to notice the timing of this because the very first thing it says is that this happened the setting is that when this happened when the number of the disciples was multiplied in other words in the midst of God's great blessing and help and working among them that's when problems came now that might seem strange to us it might even seem counterintuitive right when when everything's going well we would expect that maybe every you know we'd be at peace with one another but the reality is sometimes even in the midst of goodness and God's blessings problems can arise in fact if we understand the spiritual battle that we're in it only stands to reason that Satan's greatest resistance would be when God is working the most would it not when the Lord is at work and the spirit of God is active and there's great blessing that is when God's people are the greatest threat to Satan's kingdom and so here comes Satan, trying to throw a wrench into what God is doing among his church and among his people. And what does he do but start to accuse people? We heard in the song uh, a moment ago a title for Satan. Uh, It's a title that the Bible gives him, a name, the accuser of the brethren. Did you know that that really is what Satan is? He is an accuser. Uh, He is one... Satan actually actively day and night accuses you to God do you know that he does he accuses you and I to God now this is the one thing that Satan can do and be honest about Satan can go to God and accuse me before God and tell him that I'm wicked and that I'm a sinner and that I don't deserve his forgiveness and his grace and in everything he says he's truthful and right he goes and he accuses me to God, and he accuses you to God. Now, here's the wonderful thing. If you have the blood of Christ applying to your life, you've been saved. The Bible says you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And so as the accuser of the brethren seeks to accuse you to God, it doesn't work. Because right there, standing in his way, is Jesus with his nail-pierced hands and says, wait a second, I already took care of all that. I already paid for the price of that sin, so it really doesn't matter what you say, Satan. They're my child. They're sealed by, by the Holy Spirit of God. They're saved. They have my righteousness applied to them. Get out of here. You've got nothing to accuse them of. That's a wonderful blessing, isn't it? But he is the accuser. But you know when Satan then figures out that he can't, if I can I'll use that term facetiously, but he, he, he really can't be successful in, in accusing us to God... So then he turns around and here's what he does. He tries to accuse God to us. Has Satan ever tried to accuse God to you and convince you that God doesn't care, that God doesn't love you, that maybe His way isn't best in your life, that maybe he shouldn't have allowed this or that to happen, that following Him isn't going to make you happy and I mean, certainly, right? We're constantly uh, bombarded with attacks on our faith in God. And I want you to understand, when those doubts arise in your mind, those questions and and even those those attitudes of negativity toward God and the things of God, I want you to know where that comes from. It, It comes from the enemy himself, Satan, the accuser. He's accusing God to you. Now, if you're saved, you have the Holy Spirit of God. You have the Word of God in your hands. And that anchors us, doesn't it? It sets us straight. It clears our mind. It goes, maybe I feel a little bit discouraged about something, and I go to the Word of God, and I'm reminded of the goodness of God, and it brings me back into focus, and it anchors me. So Satan tried to accuse me to God. That didn't work. Satan tried to accuse God to me. That only works temporarily until the Spirit of God changes things in me. And then when that doesn't work, he does something else. And this one tends to work with some of us. He accuses us to us. He'll start to say you're worthless and you're no good and God could never use you and, and, and it's, it's hopeless and, and look at all your failures, right? You ever felt that way? And some of us struggle with that more than others. But the reality is that Satan tries to accuse us of some things to ourselves and convince us of some things that aren't true in order to try and derail us from living for God and being obedient to Him because after all, you're just worthless anyway. So often He will do that. Now again, if you know the Word of God, you know who you are in Christ, and Christian friend, if I can just encourage you, find your identity in Him. Because in Christ, you are not worthless. And you are not a failure. And God can still use you and wants to. Don't let the accuser accuse you to you. Remind him that it's through the blood that I am What did Paul say? By the grace of God, I am what I am. That's that's what I am. I am what I am by the grace of God. So he accuses us to God and God to us and us to us. But here's an area that he's often very successful. He will accuse others to us. He will start to plant within our minds this idea that others are our enemies. Now here's the thing, Satan, that serpent, he was introduced to us in Genesis 3 as being the most subtle of all the beasts of the field, wasn't he? Do you know that he's still subtle today? Do you realize that Satan is your greatest enemy? I mean he he is. He is your enemy, the devil who is walking about seeking whom he may devour. He has come to steal and to kill and to destroy. And yet, He goes about slyly convincing us that not he, but others, specifically brethren, are our enemies. Isn't it amazing how he does that? He'll try to convince us, oh, so-and-so over there, they've never liked me. Oh, this person over here, I think they have something against me. This person over here, I think they're talking about me behind my back and and I'm pretty sure this person did me wrong and he'll start trying to convince us that those listen that the very family that God has adopted us into are our enemies and Paul addressed that issue in Ephesians 6 when he said we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities and powers against the rulers of the darkness of this world against spiritual wickedness in high places I want you to know friend you are not my enemy and I'm not your enemy and the person sitting next to you is not your enemy but we have a mutual enemy who is seeking our destruction and what does he do often he will try to turn us against one another he'll try to pit us against each other that's exactly what happened here in Acts chapter 6 God's blessing and he introduces a problem where he says no doubt to the Grecians you see how the Hebrew widows get their needs met I mean after all they, they get a lot of favoritism do you see a Hebrew widow who's going without today because I don't but look over here at us Grecians we're second-class citizens You know those apostles they're all Hebrews and so obviously they're gonna show favoritism to their people but here we are we're just kind of left out what are we chopped liver that's kind of the attitude right now I want to say something about this because it's important to know this was a legitimate issue in other words the problem was real it doesn't say that the Grecians thought that their widows were neglected. It simply says their widows were neglected in the daily administration. There was a legitimate complaint that they had. And let me say to you, friend, if you are here tonight and you have been hurt in some way, I don't want to try and tell you that hurts aren't real because they happen. Hurts happen and sadly they happen at the hands often of brethren. And they happen in church. And in this case, there was an oversight, not just of the brethren, but seemingly of the leadership. There was a failure in leadership. It was, I believe, probably an administrative oversight, but again, everything rises and falls on leadership, doesn't it? And so here they are. A problem has arisen, a legitimate complaint, and it's real. But I want you to also notice that the response to that was not right. Because when the problem arose, the probably the right response would have been to go to the apostles and say, hey guys, did you know that the Grecian widows aren't being taken care of on the same level that the Hebrew widows are? And that probably would have caused them to say, boy, I, I, I had no idea, or, I guess you're right. You know, I hadn't paid attention to that. But the Bible says that there arose a murmuring. There arose a murmuring. This, this is evidence. Listen, this is evidence of who's behind this. The word murmur or murmuring, it, it, the definition is this, a soft, low or indistinct sound produced by a person or group of people speaking quietly or at a distance, a subdued or private expression of discontent or dissatisfaction. In other words, problem arises, but rather than dealing with the issue, it's just talked about behind closed doors. It's quietly complained about it's from one person to another who has no power to affect the issue and there is a murmuring in other words we could say that murmuring is the opposite of biblical conflict resolution because God actually gives us very clear instructions in his word doesn't he if there's a problem with a brother, what are you to do? You are to go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. You're not to go and complain to everyone else about your problem, people who have no ability to affect the outcome of this. No, that would be murmuring. The the, the biblical solution is you go to that brother and you talk to him. And if that doesn't resolve it, then you take with you two or three, may I say, spiritual people, god godly people biblically minded people to come and assist in the process of bringing reconciliation if that process fails to work then it becomes a church issue and it comes before the church to where the church can seek to resolve the offense and only finally as a last result as as a last resort as a when all else has failed The one who has caused the offense and refused to repent, then and only then are they to be removed from the church. Now, there's a couple of things about that I think are important. First of all, God's way of dealing with issues is direct, open, and honest. Secondly, the goal in dealing with issues is not to divide, but rather to unite, to bring together. And I think it's a sad thing, folks, when in these, these days that we live in, we live in some dark days, and, I, and I'm here to say not to be an alarmist in any way, but the battle is just heating up, and things are going to get worse, and you need to know and I need to know that we are in this together. they are on the same team. This church, they were supposed to be on the same team. They had the same Savior, the same Holy Spirit, they loved the same God, they read the same book, they worshiped together, these people were on the same team, but somehow the, the enemy, Satan, had begun to convince them that they were each other's enemies. We need to know in these days that, listen, we're... We are here with and for each other. I don't know about you, but I'm grieved. Deeply grieved. As I watch people that I have stood with, preached with, fellowshiped with, grieved when I see them walking away. From the faith or from the fight, and walking away. But we need to know that our brethren, we're here. Our church family, we are here for one another. We're not backing down. We're not abandoning ship. We're here. We're in it. And so this problem arises—a legitimate problem. There was a an administrative oversight. But I want you to notice in verse number two, there was some wisdom from the disciples here, because the the apostles, verse uh, two, then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them, and said, it is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Now, this probably would have felt like, to the church, and especially to the Grecians initially, well, I guess our problems don't matter. But they're going to give a solution in a minute. But what I want to point out to you is that they recognized that this was a distraction. That what was really happening here, it, it was, a, it was a, a magic trick, if you will, by Satan, Who's going to come in and with smoke and mirrors and sleight of hand convince you that this is the issue when that's not really the problem at all. The real problem is that Satan is trying to distract from what God is doing. And he's trying to get our eyes off of what he wants us to do and has called us to do and get us busy about all these little matters. Now, I say little matters. I understand that they weren't little to the Grecians. And in the big scheme of things, this wasn't a little issue. But it was an issue that had the potential to derail from God's higher calling and higher purpose. You remember what Jesus said to his disciples in John chapter 4. They had gone into the city to buy food. Meanwhile, he's sitting there talking with that Samaritan woman at the well. And they come back and, and, and they're, they're talking to him and trying to understand really what, you know, what's going on. Why is he talking to this woman and all of that. And Jesus says to them, what does he say? Lift up your eyes and look on the fields for they are white already to harvest. I want your attention to be on the harvest fields. Lift up your eyes. Your, your eyes are here. They need to be here. Do you know what happens when we get our eyes off of the fields and we start looking internally? Our eyes turn inward rather than outward. Our focus becomes usward rather than with what God has for us to do. This was a tactic that Satan was using to try to turn their eyes away. Something that's interesting to me, twice in the book of Luke, I read where Jesus began to describe and explain to his disciples that he was going to die, that he was going to pay for our sins, that he would rise again. And as he's trying to tell them of his purpose, the very next thing that happens, two different occasions, the very next thing that happens is they start disputing among themselves who's going to be the greatest. Isn't it amazing? The Lord is saying, hey, look Look up here. Here's my purpose. Here's what I am about to do. And what are they saying? Well, what about among us? We get our eyes off of His purpose and we get focused on things that happen around us. It, it, it's playing into the hand of the enemy. But I want you to notice that there was a solution presented. And here's what it was in verse number three. He said that the disciples, the twelve, the apostles, they say here, Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report. Okay, we're going to, to, to find seven men from among the congregation who are going to oversee uh, this process to make sure that everyone is treated fairly. There, this is an administrative decision This is a decision that we're making to try and solve the issue. But I want you to notice something very important that I think gets overlooked. He said, These are to be men who are full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. Then it even says in verse number five the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost. Why? They recognized this was a spiritual problem. And it was not going to be resolved in the wisdom or strength of the flesh. They needed people who were minded toward the things of God. Who knew what it was to walk in the Spirit and to seek wisdom from God. And it was only through the Spirit of God that they could resolve this. It's amazing how often our, our issues seem to be Physical. They seem to be fleshly. They seem to be things in front of us. But the reality is that there is a spiritual force behind it that is motivating. And we don't even recognize it sometimes. But it's going to take fullness of the Spirit of God to resolve it. That's what he, they, they did. They, we, we need you to appoint these men who are filled with the spirit and then look at verse 6 whom they set before the apostles and when they had prayed they laid their hands on them i i love the fact that all through this there is a the the the, the apostles had the wisdom to see there is something deeper that's going on here there's something beneath the surface where there is someone who is working behind the scenes to pit us against one another, and what we need to do is we need to seek God. We need to seek God. We need spirit-filled men, and we need to pray. I've been involved a couple of situations um, as a pastor and also just as a church member where there was division within a church um, and let me tell you if you've ever experienced that you know that's an ugly thing it is it, it, i believe it grieves the spirit of god Amen. ephesians four tells us and grieve not the spirit of god And the very next verse tells us to let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from us with all malice and then it says and be kind one to another tender-hearted forgiving one another even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Those verses are all connected. In other words, when we, when, when we don't do that, when there's bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking among us, that's a grief to the Holy Spirit of God. It's an ugly thing. We went through a situation several years ago. I, I don't even know how to describe what was happening within the church in fact if you asked people uh, nobody seemed to really fully grasp or understand the situation the only thing I could say is that Satan was at work and he was attacking, tearing down, pulling down dividing, causing problems so many times in situations I had a, a couple different people one in particular I remember that called me one day and he said I'm leaving the church I said why? I have no idea I don't even know what the issues are I just know that so-and-so left, and so-and-so left, and if they left, there must be something that I don't realize is going on, and so I'm leaving too. And I'm thinking, this is just unbelievable. Like, you don't, you're, you're going to leave a church, and you don't even have an issue with the church. You don't even know what's going on. But boy, was Satan at work. And here's the thing. Over and over and over again, I heard people complaining, murmuring, reasoning, Trying to logically figure out some kind of a solution, and yet so rarely was I seeing people that were praying. And I remember telling a a few different individuals, listen, think about this, and it went on for months. How much time have you spent talking about this? And how much time have you spent praying about this? We'll talk to people who have no ability to change the situation and ignore the one who has all the answers. I'm thankful that the apostles had the discernment and the wisdom to say you know what we need? We need people who know how to get hold of God. When we get a hold of God, God's gonna resolve this issue. They dealt with the situation They set these men before uh, the congregation. They prayed. They laid their hands on them. And look at verse number 7. And the word of God increased. And the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem. What's that next word? Greatly. The first verse of this chapter said that This came about when the number of the disciples was multiplied but now what does it say that they multiplied greatly in other words the working of God after they came through this was seemingly greater or to a greater degree than it was even before the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem The word of God increased. Their influence increased in the community. And what happened? And a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. This was a class of people, a group of people, that up to this point they hadn't been reaching. Now they are. Why? Because listen, when we let the Holy Spirit lead the Lord's church, it's amazing what God can do. It's amazing what God can do. So I just want to say of of these things, we as we sit here and we pray, Lord, use our church. Work among us, save the lost, call people to go, change lives, give victory over sin. We pray these things. As we pray that, I think it's important that we realize that there is an enemy out there that stands ready to fight. Stands ready to cause division. Stands ready to try and convince us that we are at odds with one another. It happened when the number of the disciples was multiplied. Can I just encourage us, as we realize that, to commit with one another? That First of all, we will pray first. When there is an opportunity for us to be hurt maybe even legitimately to be dissatisfied to disagree to just be contrary perhaps that we will decide you know what I'm going to get, I'm going to go to God first I'm going to go to the one who has the ability to affect the outcome I'm not going to murmur I'm not going to complain. I'm not going to go to people who have no ability to change it. I'm going to go to God. I'm going to pray more than I'm going to talk. I'm going to pray more than I'm going to talk. And I'm going to ask the Lord for discernment to know when an issue or perceived issue is really a distraction from His high calling and purpose in my life and in our church folks I love you I I love you I pray for you and I want to serve God with you but I would be remiss if I failed to remind you that we have an enemy that will work against us you're not the enemy and I'm not the enemy and neither is your brother or sister sitting next to you in the pew or the chairs So let's keep our eyes on the Lord, look to Him, and see Him do what only He can do in increasing the Word of God and the influence of His church in this place. Amen?